Welcome to the Ladybirds Podcast. We are here having open conversations about mental health, sex, and womanhood. Dear diary, my teen angst bullshit has a body count. Don't have sex, because you will get pregnant and die. You can't do anything unless you're the center of attention. Don't have sex in missionary position. Need a boyfriend who's not such a complete bonehead. Don't have sex standing up. All I see is pork soils. You're a virgin. You can't drive. Just don't do it, promise? Welcome, y'all. This is the Ladybirds podcast. You know, for those who are joining us for the first time, we have open conversations about sex, mental health, and womanhood. If this is the first time you're hearing my voice, my name is Mandy. I like to talk about movies all the time and sex all the time. And I am sitting next to... I'm Gabby, and I like folk music and perfectly timed for this episode i love kelly's heating pad (laughs) why do you love her heating pad because i'm in pain oh no to be continued and we are joined with our weekly co-host i am kate and i like reading and i like ooh, i like um water bottles we were just talking about this and this week we have a special guest. Julia, you want to introduce yourself? I'm Julia. Um, I work with you all. And I play the cello. I was actually doing that earlier today. So it was like a, I don't know. I'm just happy about that. But um, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys. We are talking about Aunt Flo, the time of the month, the curse, whatever you want to call it. But we are talking about your period our periods, periods in general. We have all heard the gratuitous amounts of slang, uh, but why do we use it and why do we hide our periods? There's actually a study by the International Women's Health Coalition that found that there are about 5,000 different words or phrases in 10 languages that refer to menstruation. So there's lots of random weird names, Mm -hmm. but menstruation is a shared experience for half of the inhabitants of this world, and yet periods are still stigmatized. Recently, thinks they're actually the company that make the period proof underwear that have kind of come out recently. They did a small study in the U.S. and found that 42% of women have experienced period shaming. Um, In the same study, they found that 51% of men believe that it's inappropriate to openly talk about periods in the workplace. And 73% of women have hidden a pad or tampon from view on the way to the bathroom, which I am guilty of. I do that all the time. 100% guilty of. (laughs) I'm 24. took a lot of courage recently to go to CVS and get a big box of tampons and not get a bag because I didn't want to fucking pay 10 cents for an evil plastic bag. I literally was like, you know, what we're just gonna freehand this like extra large tampon box down newberry street and i did it and i looked cool with it so (laughs) so a brief historical kind of background about periods there's actually not that much known about the actual history of period which actually makes a lot of sense when you consider that most of history has been recorded by men and not women um but a couple fun facts of history that we do know. Um, Historians believe that menstruating women were associated with magic and sorcery, and that was more in, like, ancient Rome and ancient Greece. Roman author and philosopher Pliny the Elder, Pliny the Elder, (laughs) Pliny the Elder, 
wrote that a menstruating woman could stop hailstorms and lightning as well as kill crops. Wait, why kill crops? I don't know. Like, you hate <laughs> someone enough that you just kill all their crops with your period blood. Damn, that's power I wish I had on I my know. period. Mm. I just kill all my underwear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was also believed they could kill bees and rust weapons just by looking at them. Fast forward a smidge to medieval times. At this time, there was a lot of religious shame surrounding periods, so women went to insane lengths to hide their cycle from the public. They would carry little pouches of sweet-smelling herbs around their neck or their waist to neutralize the smell of blood, and they believed that burning a toad and wearing the ashes in a pouch around your waist would ease, ease cramps and heavy blood. <laughs> Did it work? I would love to know. Unfortunately for many across the globe, periods are still intensely stigmatized. In the U.S., there is a sense of embarrassment and shame that is felt regarding menstruation, but for many people, and especially in the global south, they still experience practices such as banishment during your period. In these cases, women are made to isolate or go to a specific location for the duration of their period. For school-aged girls, that can mean missing like multiple days of school a month and or if you're a working adult woman that's multiple days of income that you're missing out on that you could have been making there is also a significant lack of access to reproductive health education and resources thankfully there are organizations fighting this and there's one in particular called the menstruation equity movement and it is one that aims to ensure that anyone who menstruates has access to safe environmentally friendly products while dispelling the shame of associated with menstruation Lack of menstrual equity is often thought of an issue that affects um, specifically the global south um, because of the prior reasons, but there's also truly a lack of uh, menstrual equity in pretty much the entire world. For example, a major factor in the U.S., a study from 2015 calculated that a woman's period costs over $18,000 in a lifetime, and I would like to note that it does not calculate hours and work potentially lost because of debilitating side effects from one's period. For low-income women, affording the cost of menstrual products is a burden that is often overlooked in our country. Yeah, that is insanely high. That's like a car. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we talked a bit about the history we got to do the whole, like, just like with your virginity, what's your first time story? What, you know, when did you first get your period? Um, and I, I can start. I got it like a week after I graduated from the fifth grade. I was the first one in my group of friends to get it. And I was in the middle of baking banana bread. And I went to the bathroom and I was like, whoa. I vividly remember I got my period for like three days. It was super light. And I'm like, okay. And then a week later, I had my first day at camp. And when I tell you, this was the heaviest flow of my entire life. It was the heaviest flow. <laughs> Soaking super jumbo tampons. But at that point, I was not comfortable using tampons. So it was like, it was diaper pads it was night pads and so my first period was a double period and then I also did hide the fact that I got my period from my friends for a while um I always struggled because I just was always a bigger kid I developed faster and was really embarrassed by it because also the way we understand periods it's not necessarily like a neutral bodily function it's loaded and and what we've kind of talked about with specific cultures about when you get your period, you become a woman and, you know, you're fertile. You can have a kid. There's there's a oftentimes a sexual undertone to it. And so being in the fifth grade, having that, I was so uncomfortable. I don't think I told my friends till 
like two months after I got my period. I was around the same age as you, a little bit older. I was either sixth grade or beginning of seventh grade. And it happened the night that me and my cousin were sort of discovering porn. (laughs) (laughs) It was like God was punishing me, you know? He was like, oh, you want to be a woman thinking about sex? Here's your goddamn period. (laughs) Um, But I just, I went to the bathroom because I thought I needed to poop because I was getting stomach pains. And then I come out of the bathroom and I look at my mom and I was just like, I got my period and I started crying. Not because I was in like a lot of pain, although I was in quite a bit of discomfort. But I think it was just, I don't know, it just almost felt like the conversations around period is very much with an association that you're becoming a woman. And I think it just felt really sad to me (laughs) that I was like going to lose that childhood thing. And also knowing that I was definitely developing way quicker than all of my other friends. Mm -hmm. At that point, I do think I was the first one of my friends to get my period. The only thing that I really remember is that my dad, who wasn't home at the time, he was traveling for work, but he sent me flowers. Oh, that's so sweet. sweet. That might be the cutest thing. (laughs) I definitely got mine, I want to say it was sixth grade, but much like you, Mandy, I wasn't cooking, but I was just like sitting at the dinner table eating (laughs) with my mom. And I don't think anyone else was there. I think it was just the two of us. And I got up to go to the bathroom. I just had like Mm -hmm. discharge. So I went to fix that and was like, oh, hey, there's blood here. I love my mom and we have a really great relationship, but we don't talk about stuff like that. So I just like awkwardly like emerged into the kitchen and was like, mom, I got my period. <laughs> and she was like, do you know where the pads are? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, okay. <laughs> and that was the end of it. Mine's actually really funny. So <laughs> on New Year's Eve of 2008 into 2009, <laughs> I got my period um for the first time and i did not know what it was well i kind of knew what it was because in fifth grade we had the all-girl meeting um and they told me what it was but they did not tell you that it would be brown and not red like it was not blood it was like you know a dinky first period so like it wasn't so i was kind of like did i poop like i i just didn't really know and it wasn't a lot and then the funnier thing is i went to this new year's eve party with my closest friend at the time she's like you will have no idea like i got my period today and i was like me too so then she was super excited about it i was terrified but she was like we're women now and she kept stressing she's like we are grown-ups and i was like okay i hid it from my mom and she only found out because i was like rummaging through her period products (laughs) yeah um, and Why taking did you her hide pads. it from your mom? I was, I don't know. It was not for me. Like, I didn't like it. I was embarrassed. Um, but finally, she was like, did you get your period? And I was like, how'd you know? Like, so she figured that out. Well, we wanted to talk about how... There are so many reproductive health issues that women face all the fucking time. And we see that even with women like struggling with periods, which they've been having since like the beginning of fucking time. Yet, for some reason, there is a lot of shame. And there is, because there's also a lot of shame, there is a lack of understanding about females' bodies. And there is a lack of research, scientific research, medical research 
around this. I think, Kate, you found some really interesting information about the history of gynecology, and I think it'd be really cool for us to kind of learn a little bit about it because I can't imagine the horrific history because we know a little bit that it's very racist and it was a very cruel history. Kind of what I found when I was looking into gynecology, and the first bit was actually interesting because I never thought about gynecology this way, but gynecology is not actually just about reproductive health. Although gynecologists are known for their focus on the female reproductive system, they deal with a wide range of issues, including pregnancy and childbirth, menstruation, fertility issues, sexually transmitted diseases or sexually transmitted infections, hormone disorders, and a multitude of other things. Gynecology can be traced as far back as 1800 BC in Egypt, where there was a 34-part medical text called the Hmm. Cahoon Gynecological Papyrus that dealt with gynecological diseases, um, fertility, pregnancy, contraception, and a whole other host of predominantly women's issues. Um, And it is a little bit cool to see that there are some areas, like there is another text from India that actually deals with a lot of the same things from around that time period. But unfortunately, gynecology, as we know it today, has a much, much more insidious history. There's a man named J. Marion Sims, who's widely considered the father of modern gynecology, although I would prefer to consider him a true example of human excrement because he did really, really, really horrific things. He was a slave owner in the United States, um, and he performed exploratory surgery on women who were slaves without anesthesia in a homemade backyard hospital that he had. There are 12 known women who he operated on, and that's just who we know that he operated on. One of those women actually underwent at least 30 procedures that we know of. And again, all of these procedures were done without anesthetic. I heard that he kept like a diary and he had said that they that they had all given consent and were very excited to be a part of this medical um, research. But, you know, they were owned by him. So that's a, that's not consent. And then he chose black enslaved woman because he thought, which was a big belief at that time, that they were like more immune to pain, which is very fucked up. But that's still a stigma that exists in the medical field today, not just like women's health, um, health in general, that black people have a higher pain tolerance than white Mm -hmm. people, which is like makes no sense medically and is all sorts of awful. But yeah, it doesn't get very much better from there. Um, Obviously, these women, no matter what this man said, did not give their consent to have this done to them. They were enslaved women. While he was performing these surgeries, he would often invite other physicians and medical students to observe his procedures basically while he was torturing these women so not only was he in my view torturing them he was also making it a spectacle for other people to come watch as well he is a disgrace to medicine and we only have the woman he violated to thank for what we know about modern gynecology unfortunately i do like that people are trying to be able to look back on that history and show that the women are the reason that we know and it really doesn't have anything to do with him so take away his power that's where i stand on that (laughs) modern gynecology has vastly improved over the last century but To the disservice of those who menstruate, there is much that we still don't know due to lack of research. 
In addition, for those who menstruate and identify as women, there are people who are not women who do menstruate. There's still also a stigma of hysteria surrounding their health. Women often go undiagnosed or misdiagnosed for years before they are given a proper diagnosis. According to Virginia Ladd, the founder and executive director of the American Autoimmune-Related Disease Association, more than 40% of women eventually diagnosed with a serious autoimmune disease have basically been told by a doctor that they're just too concerned with their health and or they're a hypochondriac but as a person who has like a a medical condition that took me like years to get a diagnosis and mine isn't really related to my period it's um a brain condition but that was my experience with doctors was a lot of them saying i think this might be psychosomatic i don't think that you could possibly be experiencing this many symptoms so to have that experience but also like i can't imagine what it's like for people who have an issue, a hormonal issue or an issue related to their reproductive health, because I feel like that adds so many more layers into that. So I have PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, which is essentially a hormonal disorder. So Mm -hmm. a dead giveaway is weight gain, like Mm -hmm. unexplained weight gain, because realistically, my Mm -hmm. diet didn't change. Like I was, I don't know, my life was the same. And so that I just kind of thought I was like, oh, I moved cities. Like I'm just... Mm -hmm. out of control. I'm eating too much food. I don't know. I I thought it was other things. Other symptoms. The other one that I experienced was like hair growth in places that Mm -hmm. women don't typically grow hair. So I particularly had like these thick chin hairs. Um, (laughs) They were like, they were like pube thick. They were thick. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Other women experience like more acne. Um, That's not something Mm. that really came up for me. And also just like mood, you know, mood problems, Mm. which I think I experienced, but I don't know if that's tied to PCOS or if that's just like my mental state. And then also irregular periods for sure, or, or no periods. Essentially, because you have those male hormones, um, it really diminishes your estrogen. So basically, the reason you'll get your periods is because you're not ovulating. Because you have that male hormone, testosterone, is why you might grow hair when you do mm. gain weight. Um, you have more fat in your body, but also in, in paired with the hormonal imbalance, you'll just have a higher insulin resistance, which I think is why they jump to diabetes medication but it's not diabetes. So I just, I'm like, I get it, but I don't. So the way I found out that I have this is a couple years ago, I decided to go off of birth control. I was on it for a while to control my periods, but then it stopped controlling my periods. My, my pain was just as bad as always. And I was like, what's the point? Like, it's not doing what I want it to do. So then I just didn't get a period for like eight months. Holy shit. At first, I always knew there was like a maybe like a buffer period where your body just needs to figure out how to do its thing again. But then as time went on, I was just like, okay, this is weird. And I, I saw my gynecologist and this is when I knew she was absolutely terrible. And I was just like, well, one, I wanted to get an IUD. And two, I was worried that I wasn't getting a period. I was like, I'm 23 years old. Like, I'm prime fertility time. Like, why am I... <laughs> not bleeding and so I told her about that she's like it's fine don't worry about it like and mind you this is probably six six six-ish months into not getting a period and so I saw an endocrinologist and she was the one who diagnosed me with PCOS and the way you get a PCOS diagnosis is just ruling out other things like a thyroid disease or diabetes or something like that just because 
they all have very similar symptoms, but you can't test for PCOS. It's kind of like endometriosis. The only way to see it is actually surgery. One in 10 women have PCOS, and yet we still don't really know like what it is and why it happens and how to treat it, which is very frustrating because the simple answer to me is always just, oh, here's birth control, here's metformin, which is a diabetes medication, even though I don't have <laughs> diabetes, and lose weight. And I was just like, cool. And that's what I've been told every appointment I've gone to. And I'm like, yeah, but it's hard to lose weight because of the disorder. Like, it's just a whole thing. So so the actual process of being diagnosed was not very long. I'd say a couple weeks. And then after that, my doctor, I mean, my endocrinologist, generally the doctors you see for PCOS are endocrinologists, gynecologists, mm-hmm. and a dermatologist if you do need that. Um, so I just stuck with her. But then it was the classic oh, all you have to do is lose weight. She told me to stop drinking juice. I was like, I don't fucking drink juice. Like, you know, so that just was frustrating because I would go every six months and my weight was the same. And she's like, well, you're not trying hard enough. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? Starve myself? Like, that's not how this works either. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. But um, I'm actually seeing a nutrition therapist now who seems to know a bit more about how this works. She is basically a licensed therapist um, or like a counselor, but also a licensed nutritionist. So it's like a, a combo between my like mentality around eating and nutrition, but also just like guiding me, especially with PCOS, like to eating foods that will supplement my body as necessary. But she's the one who's given me the most answers about PCOS so far, which is great. I really say, I mean, my period's pretty simple because now I'm on birth control. And so I know exactly when I'm going to get it every single month. <laughs> and it's pretty much the same. It's still terrible. The cramps are awful. And something I don't, I've not yet talked to someone who deals with the same thing. But when I'm on my period, like, yes, my, my like front cramps are bad. But what's worse is like my bowels are so painful like I could fart and it's excruciating like oh my god God. it's literally like anything that's moving in my bowels is like I don't know it's like hypersensitive and it's crazy and so god nothing like period poops baby listen I could make an entire entire episode dedicated to period (laughs) poops yeah I can't imagine how infuriating and frustrating it must be because as someone who I relatively have like a pretty normal cycle aside from just a lot of mood swings and and cramps and I already feel when I'm on my period like even today my period hasn't come but I've already started getting all the symptoms my boobs are sore (laughs) they feel heavy and big my (laughs) fucking uterus is like punching me all the time I feel constipated and like just a host of things I feel like I lose so much control over my body and my emotions I was talking to Mandy earlier that like every time that I get on my period my body dysmorphia increases so much like there's just so many fucking Mm -hmm. effects and then to have a disorder that can be diagnosed but no explanation and no understanding of it just because of lack of research lack of fucking doctors and medical people taking interest in the woman's body it i just can't imagine how infuriating it is because it really does feel like you lose part of who you are yeah i saw something where they were like 
in school they teach you about the one week when you're bleeding but they fucking don't talk about like the week before yeah. when and I'm very lucky because my body doesn't work in many ways but for the most part I have pretty regular periods but my where I struggle the most is with my mental health and so the week before it's really really difficult that's how I know my period is coming yeah. because I have the deepest depression the week before my period and that's something I'm still navigating how to address because you know we barely know how to fucking treat a cramp how do we like how can we deal with all the other how can we deal with like the nuanced mental health imbalances that happen when your hormones are and they always talk about like pmsing and they put this connotation and narrative that it's anger and it's like that cruel like she's all she wants chocolate and like yes please give me the chocolate (laughs) but it's really it's that it's the other shit that I think needs to be discussed more instead of that constant stereotype that is just an angry pissed off menstruating person well yeah and then there's the taking it a step further when people will say like oh like almost making you untrustable during your period because you're so crazy it's like well no if I just had the resources to manage this if someone actually like figured it out or um supported us in some way well one we're not unreliable just because of our period but like um maybe that wouldn't be such a quick like thing to go to like woman i don't know i just yeah it was it's also our hormones and cycles is the reason why so much medical research has been done on men and not on women because we were considered unreliable like our symptoms were considered unreliable when in fact it was just no our bodies function differently And so we can get different symptoms, like different symptoms for heart attack between men and women exist. But like no one fucking knew that until recently because no one did research on us. No one did testing on us. There's also a big thing that we need to talk about with period poverty and we kind of wanted to make sure that we didn't we wanted to touch upon this in the episode because I mean uh I definitely approach this from a point of privilege where like I have access to products it is also quite expensive but there are so many people in this country around the world that they can't and so they have to resort to other methods and that's where like there was a really interesting vice documentary that i saw about uh homeless uh people Mm -hmm. who menstruate and kind of the lengths that they have to go to to make their own tampons how to stay clean and there's a harvard student her name's nadia okamoto and she runs the period power movement or just the period movement it's one of them but her whole thing is um combating period poverty um Mm. she's like a really fucking cool girl she started this movement (laughs) when she was like 16 she wrote a book but yeah her whole thing is just collecting period products and distributing them to the people who don't have access to them um and there Mm. are chapters all over the country so it's a really cool thing that she's doing cool that gives me hope (laughs) I know, and, and on a hopeful note, too, we were just discussing how Scotland just passed mm-hmm. a law that would make all feminine products free and accessible to all, which is huge. Yeah. And hopefully, my hope is that all countries start doing that mm-hmm. and all workplaces start doing that, schools start doing that. I think that's really, really big. Um, and hopefully, 
I would love to see accessible products that are actually eco-friendly, but also that we know what the fuck is in them because you don't see the ingredients in your pads or tampons, but especially with tampons, they're going inside of you. Yeah. Another thing I thought of too is like, so there's the whole movement now towards like menstrual cups and stuff like that, just because mm-hmm. they are less waste and, and and that's great, but they are way overpriced for what they actually yeah. are. And I, I do yeah. think that's just like kind of shitty that someone is like basically preying on us for our money for something that costs, mm-hmm. I don't want to know how little, I paid $35 for a piece of silicone, you know, like, <laughs> and also with them comes like, again, some level of education that needs to be done because there is a misconception that you don't, you can't get TSS from menstrual cups. That is not mm. true. You get TSS yeah. from blood being in you. I didn't know you. that. It's oh, yeah. actually has nothing to do with the tampons or anything like that. It's just the fact that blood is sitting inside of you and it's getting old and it's oxidizing. And so that's how you get that infection. Holy shit. And that's like another crazy thing to think about is like the amount of misinformation and like there's stuff that I like I literally didn't know that that's what TSS was until you just said that, Julia. And I'm I'm approaching 30 years on this planet. <laughs> like the amount of misinformation and just lack of general knowledge even when you are coming from a point of privilege we appreciate you coming on yeah of course i'm so glad i do have a funny story about julia teaching me about periods at work <laughs> the other day i was joking with my coworker about like you're gonna do something crazy tonight you down to clown which i've been using the word down to clown for like all my life and julia's face was like what what was that And then I discovered that down to clown is basically slang for a gentleman who's um, down to, you know, eat you out when you're on your period. And just like clown makeup, you get the red stuff all over your mouth. I can tell you I am personally not down to clown. But uh, Urban Dictionary confirms that that is exactly what down to clown means. But that brings us to the end of the episode are doing okay moments so what was your doing okay this week so my doing okay moment this week is actually more of a shout out to the folks at back bay veterinary clinic ollie had to have surgery and they did it very very last minute for me and they did a very very good job and he is home and happy and healthy and i my doing okay is that my boy's hot healthy I can bounce off of that. We got a cat recently and she um, is an adult cat. So she's been taking some time to like adjust to us. But the other day I like knew she was like truly comfortable with me because she gave me her belly to rub. And I was like, I kind of never expected that to happen just because cats are weird. (laughs) Um, But she fully rolled over and I was like skeptical. I was like, should I go for it? And then I did. And she just kind of like laid there and I was like, oh, she likes me now. So yeah this week was a rough week but i feel like i say that every week (laughs) i was able to sob for like an hour and a half to a friend on the phone um and i felt way better after um and it just was a really good reminder that like when everything feels like it's falling apart um there are many people in my life that are like a phone call away or just like you know who are next door that are are uh, there to to help me out and so that felt really 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 nice so and my doing okay was is my mom's birthday 
on December 2nd. So that's a while ago now, but obviously I haven't lived at home for six years now and they live in Brazil and so I'm obviously not going to be able to visit them. So this is going to be possibly two years now going by that I won't see my family and I just got to chat with her for like half Mm -hmm. an hour which should happen more often but it just doesn't because we both live very difficult lives of timing things but It was very nice to talk to her, and it was very nice to meet my baby cousin, which I haven't met yet in person, but he's very cute and very massive (laughs) chonker of thighs, and I'm just like, oh! Anyways, yeah, so it was very nice to see my family, and I always love when I get to speak Portuguese, because a lot of how I communicate with my family is just through text, and so I definitely miss it a lot. So can everyone just wear a fucking mask so I can go home? (laughs) Yeah. And also give me $2,000 so I can go home. <laughs> well, as usual, like us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram, Ladybirds Pod. We love to hear from you. DM us, send us ideas, tell us about your period poop. We please really want to know. I mean, yeah, actually do it. Yeah, please tell us. <laughs> <laughs> We're all ears. Um, bye! bye. Julia, you gotta do your bye! bye. <laughs> <laughs>